Thank you so much for listening to this podcast of our weekly message here at Brighton United Methodist Church. If you're looking for a church home in the Brighton area, I want to invite you to come and visit us. Check out our website at www.brightonunitedmethodistchurch.com and find us on social media. I pray you find this message inspiring and check back for future installments. Good morning. My name is Mick McCauley, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes to us from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and to cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We we all shrivel, shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, grace be yours and peace from Jesus Christ our Lord. Welcome to Advent. This is the Advent season. It's the start of our liturgical year here in the life of the church. Advent is perhaps the most misunderstood season of the church year, right? We kind of get... um, Lent and Easter, we kind of understand Pentecost and we follow the stories of Jesus, etc. But when we get to the season of Advent, we sort of misunderstand it. It marks the start of our liturgical calendar, but it's a month before the secular new year, right? It culminates in Christmas, a celebration of joy and glad tidings, and yet we prepare for it with a season of traditional penitence. Far from the secular countdown to Christmas, Advent is a season of waiting. Advent is a season of waiting. The name Advent means coming, not just the coming of Jesus as the Christ child born in a manger. This first Sunday in Advent, we look at Jesus coming, but coming in final victory. If we look at the, the, um, the assigned readings for today in the lectionary, 
We would read Mark's gospel, but not the beginning of Mark's gospel. We would find ourselves near the end when Jesus is teaching about the triumphal return in glory to judge the living and the dead, as the creed reminds us. Then, next week, we start talking about John's making the way in the wilderness for Jesus, performing the role of, of, of Elijah, preparing the way for the Lord, right? And then, of course, we eventually come around to the coming of the Christ child. But this is a season of waiting, a season where we find ourselves waiting patiently, maybe not so patiently, maybe waiting anxiously. There's, there's this business of waiting that's so important to us as, as followers of Christ, and yet it is so difficult. It is so difficult. In this season of Advent, we have businesses waiting to see if they'll make it into the black, right? Especially this year, they're waiting desperately to see if they'll even remain open in the coming year. We have children, of course, anxiously waiting as presents pile up around the tree, wondering what might be awaiting them on Christmas morning. We have the church waiting. The church waiting in our season of Advent, but waiting to see if we'll be able to gather again, if we'll be able to do ministry the way we've always wanted to do. In fact, every one of us in the midst of this global pandemic is waiting. Everyone is waiting. We're just waiting. Hoping these vaccines will come to fruition, hoping that our economy will open up, hoping that a new year will bring a new season of reinvigoration into our lives, into our economy, into our work, into our church. We have all been waiting for months, it seems. So this Advent, we set out to explore what it means and how we are to wait as children of God. What does it mean for us to wait, and how is it we are to wait as children of God? What is it about waiting that is important for us to know? Now, this may sound just too obvious, right? But we start with the question, how do we wait? How do we wait? That seems like a very obvious question, right? Waiting seems like the absence of doing, right? If we're, if we're doing, then we're not really waiting, right? But is it? Is waiting truly the absence of doing? So often, we use the phrase waiting on the Lord, right? As people of faith, we're waiting on the Lord, especially when we're in the midst of discernment. We're waiting on the Lord. What will be our next turn? We're waiting on the Lord. What shall we do in our career? We're waiting on the Lord. When shall I retire? We're waiting on the Lord. Waiting seems like the absence of doing. But I want to challenge you. Is waiting the absence of doing? Is waiting really the absence of doing? Look at uh, Abraham, for example. When God calls to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is set. He's living in the land of his parents, of his father. He's living near all of his kin. And God comes to him at the beginning of chapter 12 and says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says you are going to be a blessing. Your family is going to be a blessing through which I'm going to bless all of creation. Leave everything you know and go to the land that I will show you. He doesn't even tell him what land he's going to. He just says go. He says, go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, Abraham is waiting for the Lord to reveal where he's going. Abraham is waiting for the Lord to bring to fruition the promises that he makes. And he will he will toil for years waiting for the Lord to do it. But it's not sitting back on his hands waiting for the Lord to do it all. He hears the word of the Lord say, go, and I will show you where. Look at the text from last week as we explored Isaiah's call story. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Right? And Isaiah says, I'll go. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He just says, I'll go. And God will reveal it. Look at David. David shows up at the camp of the Israelites with some lunch for his brothers and overhears the challenge of Goliath and he doesn't say, gee, I wonder what the Lord would have me do. He responds to Goliath's challenge. He goes. He goes and allows God to to reveal the steps as he goes, but he still goes. Look at any major figure in the word of God and God meets them in their doing. And yet they're waiting for the Lord to reveal their next steps. There's that famous psalm, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So often we want the light unto my path. We want to see where we're going. We want to know the destination before we'll take a single step. But more often than not, God is the lamp to our feet. Every step reveals the next, but only the next. And so we discern, we learn, we wait on the Lord by our doing. Waiting isn't the absence of doing. Waiting for the Lord is not the absence of activity where we sit in a quiet prayer until God makes clear what we are to do. Waiting for the Lord is doing with our eyes and our ears and our minds tuned to perceive God's leading. So how do we do this? How do we wait Well, first, we long for that leading to be so obvious, don't we? We long for that waiting to be that huge, ginormous gong up among the head, guiding us in specific ways to specific places that God reveals to us from the beginning. And the more desperate we get, the more obvious we want those to be, right? Think about how obvious you want your path to be as we've been discerning how to deal with the pandemic as a congregation, whether to meet in person, whether to meet outside, whether to go virtual, what to do with all of that. As we've been in the midst of that, I have been longing for a giant beacon. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. But God reveals himself in our doing. God reveals himself in our doing. And the more desperate I became for answers, the more obvious I wanted the answer to be. Well, God's people are not new to this reality. Look at the way Isaiah speaks at the beginning of 
our reading today in Isaiah 64, he says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From age From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. Isaiah is giving voice to the longing of the people to see God move in miraculous ways, to see God move mountains, to I love the the translation in so many versions, not the NRSV, but but in other translations it says, to rend the heavens and come down. Rend the heavens. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. That means to tear. This is not a a God floating down in a puffy cloud kind of a experience. This This is a violence. This is God, tear the heavens open and come down and reveal yourselves that the mountains would quake, right? That everyone would know that you are God. The way you did, the way you did back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the way you did to Moses and the people of God in the wilderness, the way you did with Joshua and the coming in to the promised land. Show us your mighty acts, Lord. Reveal to us in obvious ways your presence, right? We long for torn heavens and quaked mountains. But, but we rarely get them. Have you ever noticed that? We rarely get them. In the midst of our waiting for the Lord, we rarely get the torn heavens and the quaked mountains. So often, God comes and speaks to us in the still, small voice. The still, small voice as we do. Well, what do we do then? What do we do then when we don't get the When we don't get the heavens rent and we don't get the mountains quaked, what do we do? What do we do then? Well, we get a clue. In verse 5, Isaiah recounts, You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. What do we do then? Well, we gladly do right and remember. We gladly do right and remember. That's what scripture is about, right? What are the rending of the heavens? What is the quaking of the mountains? What are they longing for? They're longing for what they've heard about, what they read about in the word of God. They long for those visions that their ancestors experienced, right? These are are the people of God, but they've been exiled. They've They've been put under the boot of conquering empires because of their great iniquity. They long to see the torn heavens and the quaked mountains. But when they don't get them, they acknowledge that God, God, meets those who gladly do right. Those who remember you in your ways. Remembering God in his ways is knowing what God has done in God's people. What God has done through his people over the many centuries now, I want to remind us that, that doing right, doing right begins with confession. Did you notice this? Doing right begins with confession, right? 
It, it starts in verse 5, you meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways, but, one of those giant buts of the Bible, but you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquity like the wind takes us away. Right? Isaiah emerges into confession. He, he acknowledges that, that God will meet those who gladly do right, right? And who remember God's ways. But we can't gladly do right and remember God's ways until we acknowledge and stop doing wrong, right? Until we acknowledge that we have done wrong and we stop doing wrong, we're not going to be the ones met by God who are doing right and remembering God's ways. So, do it, gladly doing right and remembering God's ways begins by our stopping Acknowledging that we have done wrong and turning from it in repentance. But, but our doing right can't stop with confession and repentance. That just orients us back into the right direction. There is no one, in verse 7, who calls on your name, who attempts to take hold of you, Isaiah says. There's no one who attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. And have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Isaiah says, no one calls or takes hold of you, O God. But maybe we should. Maybe we should. These are active terms. God, rend the heavens. No one takes hold of you. Can you imagine what it would mean to take hold of God Maybe we should be calling out to God and taking hold of Him. But too often, too often we forget that we have been delivered into the hands of our own iniquity. As the Bible says, as the scripture here tells us, as the prophet reveals to us. So often, the biggest problem with our not calling out to God and not taking hold and not waiting for the Lord... And failing to do is that we blame God for all of our problems. We blame God for our problems. And when we're blaming God for our problems, we're overlooking our own responsibility in them. Gee, God, this bad thing happened. Gee, God, this awful thing happened. You know what? We live in a fallen world. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we live in a fallen world. And so when bad things happen, it's not God's fault. It's the fall of the world. God is doing all he can. But we must acknowledge our own iniquity in the midst of it and stop blaming God. Because once we stop blaming God, we begin to deal with our own iniquity and we call out to God and we take hold of him. What happens when we stop trying to wait for God's plan? What happens... When, when that happens, right, when we, when, we don't acknowledge, when we don't acknowledge that it's our own iniquity, that we've been delivered into the hands of our own iniquity, when that happens, we stop trying to wait for God's plan, and we try to get God onto our plan. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever tried that level of discernment before? Let me just wait on the Lord. We'll call it waiting on the Lord, but what we really want is for God to get on my plan. 
God, I got a plan. I want you to get on my plan. And when you don't, then we doesn't work. And why hasn't it worked, God? Why aren't you on our plan? It sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's how we behave. That's how we act. When we turn it around and we blame God for our problems, or at the very least, we blame God for not getting on our plan for our problems, we end up with the wrong solution. We end up waiting on the Lord by sitting on our hands and twiddling our thumbs. Doing right, as the prophet says, doing right starts with confession and continues with repentance. Calling out to God and taking hold of our Lord. We must do more calling out and taking hold as we begin to do our waiting. Now, we begin our doing, we begin our doing, but we must keep our eyes and our ears fixed on God while we're doing, right? Look at verse 4. He says, from ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him, right? But if we're not listening and if we're not looking as we're doing, then we're going to end up where we want to go, which will probably end up in a problem. But if we start moving and we're listening for God's voice and we're watching for God's movement and light, we must keep our eyes and our ears fixed on God in our doing. We do this by acknowledging God's role while we are doing. Look at verse 8. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. Right? We just got done repenting and turning from God and acknowledging that our mess is our own fault. Right? Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. You are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are the clay and you are the potter. You are our Father, O God. God is our Heavenly Father, guiding and wanting the best for us. God is the potter, shaping and molding our lives. But far from static clay, sitting on the potter's wheel, waiting to be formed without movement of our own, we must remember that our doing, while discerning, must be done, must be done in the context of community. We must have community around us as we discern because sometimes we develop blind spots to things. We develop blind spots in our discernment that can only be seen around by the people in our community. We must not allow ourselves to just be passive and twiddling our thumbs and we must not allow ourselves to become detached from God's community. Look at verse 9 as we close out our passage for today. We must remember that doing while discerning must be done in community. We do, uh, do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. This is a collective we. We are all your people, Lord. When we discern by doing, and we do in community, it becomes easier for us to keep our eyes and our ears and our hearts attuned to God's leading 
We can't just walk off and assume that God will bless whatever we do. We can't make our plan and try to get God onto our plan, right? We need to start doing. We need to start moving. We need to start exploring while listening and seeing God at work in our lives. It is far too easy, friends, to be passive. It is far too easy to be passive to just say, well, God will open the door when God opens the door. But if you're not knocking, if you're not knocking, you may never notice the open door at all. We must be about doing it, and we must do it listening to God, and that is best done as designed by God in community. We, the prophet says, we are all your people. This Advent, we are waiting. We are waiting like maybe never before, at least not in our lifetimes. We're waiting for COVID. We're waiting for news. We're waiting for results. We're waiting. We're waiting. And we could spend this time distracting from the frustrations and the fears and the tribulations of our time. We could Netflix ourselves into some sort of oblivious coma. We could twiddle our thumbs and, and scrub on Facebook. And we could do all of the things that we do to try and distract ourselves from our boredom and our frustration and our fears and our anger and our fill-in-the-blank. Or, or we could recognize our need to start doing. We could recognize our need to start doing by confessing and repenting, by acknowledging, by taking hold of God and calling out to him as we go. We can recognize our need and start doing by letting God lead the way. Let's do it together this Advent season. Amen. Well, are you ready for your homework? I know we're coming into Christmas. You got a lot going on, a lot on your plate, but we can't set aside our homework. Our homework is about applying what we've talked about in our message today to our everyday lives. And this is how we, we want to begin. We want to begin with our Thirsty 30, right? This is a busy time of year, right? We're shopping for presents. We're trying to do that in the midst of a pandemic. We're, we're busy trying to, to do and to be and all of the things that go into this season, right? But that should never be our excuse to shortchange God in our time with him because our time with God will shape our time in our doing, right? So this is what we want to do. We want to tune our hearts to God through this thirsty 30. Remember, that's 10 minutes of Bible reading, 10 minutes of prayer, 10 minutes of worship, 30 minutes to God each and every day. If you're not doing any of those things right now, commit to doing one for 10 minutes each and every day this week. If you've been doing some of them, maybe you've been flirting with 30, maybe you even got there once or twice, but you've never been consistent, make a plan and be consistent. This week, in a busy time, the only way you're going to get there is to make a plan, okay? So start your doing with God 30 minutes a day, each and every day. Make a plan. Make it happen. Now, if you've been doing the 30, I know a busy season, it might seem like that should be enough. But if you've been doing the 30 for a while, I want to challenge you, even in a busy season, to take hold of God. Give God a little bit more. You will never regret giving more of your time to the God who gives us every moment of every day. Okay? Now... While you're doing that, I want to give you one of my dangerous prayers, okay? Today, this week, I want you to be praying, how are you 
twiddling your thumbs? In other words, how are you wasting time in the pandemic? How are you taking this time of waiting and just sort of kicking back and not doing much? That's very tempting, isn't it? But invite the Holy Spirit to convict you. How are you twiddling your thumbs right now? How are you wasting time? And how could you start doing this week? Don't just think for yourself, but pray to God. God, reveal how I could start doing this week. And then, of course, go and do it, listening and watching for the Lord. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we come before you today hopeful, filled with anticipation as we wait. Lord, inspire our doing and guide it by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love and grace throughout this Advent season. Give us the peace that passes all understanding as we long to be in your presence. Lord, fill us with a hope that comes in knowing your Son is our Lord and Savior. We pray to you in his mighty and powerful and precious name. Amen. I want to thank you for listening to this weekly message here at Brighton United Methodist Church. If you're looking for a church home in the Denver area, I want to invite you to come by and visit us. Check out our website at www.brightonunitedmethodistchurch.com and find us on social media. Remember, you are loved.